0: The spirit of God is moving upon his people and he is raising up a generation that is prepared for power that will touch this world.
1: Welcome to a special live stream edition of Return of the Historic Faith. I am truly, truly blessed as always to be able to come on here with you guys and discuss the Word of God along with other topics that go hand in hand with them. Brother Brett, it is awesome as always to see you watching. You know, I know that we all have very busy schedules, and I know it's not always easy to join in and watch these things live, which is why I normally do, you know, my programs audio podcast only. However, today we're going to be covering a topic that's not as serious as, say, Tyler Doka. You know, he, um, Trying to make sure that you guys can hear me. Brett, if you're still on, brother, let me know if you can hear me. Because I am not showing any audio on my end. And because I did this on the fly here at the house and I'm using a microphone that I'm not used to using okay Brett says sounds good maybe it's just me who can't hear it. so anyway what we're gonna be discussing today is the issue of King James only-ism. And for those of you who have, you know, followed me or the Remnant Report for any length of time, you know that for a long time, I was a very, very outspoken authorized King James only believer. To me, the authorized 1611 KJV was the inerrant preserved inspired word of God and more than that, it was the only inerrant inspired word of God. But Since I have grown in my knowledge and understanding and, dare I say, Holy Spirit-given wisdom from studying the early church and the Bible that they used, from teachings from people like Phil Baker and... David Berceau, along with my own studies of what the early church did, what they used, and the things that they held as scripture, you know, I have done a complete 180 as far as the KJV being the only, well, you know, I was truly, truly hoping, I'm sorry, I know I kind of stopped in the middle of what I was saying, but I think it's kind of funny that, um, oh my goodness, you know, I, it's crazy, I've been um following the posts of an individual and I might as well go ahead and say his name because I his name is in the description His name's John Magnum and on Facebook he has been posting continuously like multiple times a day about um The KJV and how it is the only uh, version of the Bible that is God's Word. But the pro, uh, you know, I have asked him many, many questions, and I have asked him in specific to come on the program with me today. And discuss this in an iron sharpens iron fashion and I thought he was gonna come on but you know he's claimed many many times in almost all of his posts that everyone who he would debate in, uh, the comment section of his post on Facebook would say hateful things to him and then block him. He called... The, now, I would see that even though he said these people were attacking him, I could never see what they said because it was just him talking about it now on the other hand I was able to see that he called them things like witches he called me the devil the son of the devil and I just kept replying to all of that with love Things like, well, I love you, brother. You know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I forgive you and there's no hard feelings. You know, I hope we can discuss this like believers are supposed to and not hold any animosity towards each other. And he kept, like I said, he kept saying that these people were blocking him. But now, right here, as we are at the time for the program, and I am literally live on video, he's blocked me. Now, I can't see his page. So I don't know what. He's saying, but I'm just gonna say this if he's claiming that he has once again been blocked by another person who refused to debate him, then if you happen to see that, then you'll know that it's not true because. Although I haven't blocked him, I can't find him on Facebook when I look for him on Messenger. Cause I looked to uh, ask why, you know, to, to to let him know I was on live and ask if he was still going to come on with me. But when I click on his uh, on my phone on his Messenger, it says. I don't know if you can see it it says this person is unavailable well it only says that if um, I'm blocked I mean if someone blocks you but you can also see right there second to the bottom block is listed right there if I had him blocked instead of saying block it would say unblock you know I'm, I'm not trying to make the man look bad. I'm simply pointing out that the enemy and today's program is going, the topic is going to shift completely because it has to. Since I'm not going to have a guest and we aren't going to be speaking about the Bible that the early Church used, and we're not going to be looking at things that we've already covered here on Return of the Historic Faith. You know, we've already talked about the fact that the KJV is the Bible for the New Testament. And we've also discussed that the Septuagint in English Is the Bible for the Old Testament and we've shown how the same things I showed him that every time Jesus and the Apostles like in the book of James quotes from the Old Testament that if you read their quotes in the KJV in the New Testament where they're quoting from the Old Testament, and then in the KJV, you go back to the Old Testament. Like, for instance, when Jesus quotes um, Psalm, Psalm 12, I think it is. As um, a matter of fact, if you give me just a second, I think I have it... I know I have it on my phone um, where I was looking at it earlier. Yep, right here. Um, Septuagint. All right. Right here, for example, in Matthew 21, 15, Jesus quotes scripture to the chief priests and the scribes at the temple in Jerusalem. He says, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, Now, I will say this isn't the KJV. This is the new King James Version. But in talking to him, I showed it in the KJV because it's the same no matter what Bible you're looking at because there are only a very few who use the Septuagint for their Old Testament. And if you go back and you listen to the episodes of Return of the Historic Faith that I did on the Septuagint, then you'll find out which Bibles those are. But anyways, back to this. Um, Jesus says, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? That's Matthew 21, 15, and 16. Well, it doesn't matter if you go back and look at it in the New King James Version or or the actual authorized KJV, you're going to see that it says something completely different. For instance, um, in the New King James Version, there's a footnote that shows that Jesus is quoting from um, Psalm, I said 12, but it's actually Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Um, So when you look that passage up, in your Old Testament and you read it, it, read, it reads out of the mouths of babes and suckling and sucklings you have ordained strength and there's more to it than that, but it definitely does not say what Jesus quoted. So when you see this, the first thing especially non-believers think is See, there's a contradiction right there in the scriptures. And even believers think, hey, wait a minute, there's a contradiction here. But the truth is, the KJV is just using a different translation than the one Jesus quoted from. The KJV and the New King James Version, they're... Old Testament is translated from the Masoretic. Now, there are, and this is something that John and I were supposed to discuss today, there are many, many, many New Age Antichrist translations that are, they they aren't even Bibles. They should be thrown out if you own any of them. Like the NIV. And I'm not going to get into all of them because we've already done a program on that as well. But if you own any of these New Age, you know, Antichrist translations, you need to get rid of them. But the King James Version shows something very, very different than what... The quote Jesus quoted in the New Testament says. And when you see this, it doesn't matter if you are a a believer or a non-believer. I'm sorry, I'm having some problems with my green screen here. And I'm trying to fix it, but... (sighs) That's just the way things go here on Return of the Historic Faith. You guys know this, but I'm just going to leave it alone. You'll just see the glare that's showing up there. There's nothing I can do about it right now. But anyway, um, in the Septuagint, in Psalms 8, 2, it reads exactly what Jesus says. So, like I was saying, for the New Testament, the King James version is fine. As a matter of fact, not it's not just the King James version; it's any version that uses the Greek received text, known as the Texas, the Textus Receptus, for its um New Testament and for the Old Testament what I recommend is a version of the Septuagint in English. You know, I happen to use a specific one that is actually it's just Called the Septuagint in English with the Apocrypha, and it was translated uh, by Lancelot C. L. Brenton. And you know, it's an extremely good translation for believers regardless to whether you're a new believer or you're someone who has been following Christ for 20 years but are just now hearing this about the Septuagint being the Bible that Jesus, the apostles, and the earliest Christians used. The Septuagint in English with the apocrypha is a very, very good translation, but it's not the only one. There are more, and I think that uh, David Berceau even has a good one on the Scroll Publishing website, if I'm not mistaken. I know that he wrote a book, um, and I, ha- I actually have it, it's called Discovering the Septuagint, and It's awesome. It truly is. But since uh, we aren't going to have a guest today, then what we're going to be talking about instead is going to be something that I'm just going to have to kind of go with on the fly, man. Um, And that is... I guess, I guess we're going to talk about the book. (laughs) I did a video yesterday um, that was just a Facebook Live on the book, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to do another little, an actual official episode today on the book. Because, you know, without a guest to discuss the topic that we were going to discuss, you know, I'm kind of having to make things up on the fly as I go, man. Um, And I don't mind doing that, not even almost, you know, that's... The way things go sometimes, I am actually kind of used to it. Um, I'm looking, I know that you guys see me looking down here. I'm looking at my cell phone um, because it says. No closed captions, and the closed captions should be working if the sound's working. But, um, okay. Let's see here. Are they working? Yep, okay. It's just on that page, apparently. Anyways, what we're going to talk about is the book... And a couple of other things. I know that I have wasted 25 minutes talking about things that we've already discussed on the show. Like what Bible the apostles and Jesus and the early church used. But, you know, I I think that was the plan. Um, You know, the enemy... um, You know what? I do know what we're going to talk about today, and it's not the book. You guys, I'm sure, are probably tired of hearing about the book and are ready to read it. So, instead of another book update, we're going to talk about what happened today and the reason for it. And we're going to talk about what the enemy is doing. What is... Okay... I don't know if you guys are familiar with a YouTube channel called Magic Mystery Church, but BDK has featured the um, channel as well as, and her name escapes my mind right now, but BDK has, has had on his program the host of that YouTube channel um, at least once but I'm pretty sure a couple of times and on her YouTube channel yesterday she had a video entitled What's Worse Than a Satanist? And it was all about this Satanist from South Africa who has had a supposed um, experience with Jesus Christ and has become a follower of Christ because of this experience that he had on uh, during a satanic ritual that he did to find out what he was supposed to do to get more power and to move up in Satanism. Well, when I first saw the an interview of this guy, it wasn't on her channel. It was actually on another channel that I subscribed to. And when I first saw it, I thought that it was a good thing. You know, the way that um, the guy portrayed the interview from the Satanist was in a good light. And I thought, you know, the fact that that Jesus showed up at a Satanic ritual was like him showing that he was more powerful than the devil or any demon that would normally show up at, at these rituals. So... Um, I didn't have a problem with it to begin with, but then I saw her take on it, and I agree with what she said completely. You know, she showed many interviews with this guy since his experience with quote-unquote Jesus at this satanic ritual, and... These other interviews that he's done, they weren't on the original video that I saw um, about this guy's uh, change from, or his conversion from Satanism to uh, Christ follower. And, um, you know, (laughs) when I saw what she had on her show, it was very, very obvious to me that not only was this guy not a true follower of Christ, but he was just, as she said, worse than a Satanist because... He was someone who was claiming to be a former Satanist who was leading people not towards the true Christ, but towards the Jesus of the New Age. And I'm going to put a link to her video from yesterday in the description of This program, but the the reason I bring that up is because people like, I'm not saying that this guy that I was supposed to have on the program today is for sure someone like that, but I am going to say that the things that he is saying and the things that he is doing look a whole lot like the things that this supposed ex Satanist is doing. Now, I am, even if this guy is um, leading people away from Jesus Christ, the true Jesus Christ. I'm still not saying that he is a Satanist or even a former Satanist. I am simply saying that he sounds and is acting a lot like someone who the devil is using whether he knows it or not, to take people away from Christianity, to lead people in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ. Because what he is showing is an example of, of Jesus Christ that is extremely different than the Jesus of the Bible and he's he said and not just him but I've seen so many people say this time and time again that um, mainstream Christianity is full of non-believers, mainstream Christianity is full of people going to hell and while I agree with that to an extent I agree with my sister in Christ, Danielle Finch when it comes to the fact that it's Far more fruitful to share things in love and tell people about Jesus Christ, share the gospel, than it is to attack the mainstream church or attack them as heretics or call them names, or any of the many things that a lot of us have done, do and have done, myself included. Um, you know, there have been many, many, many times where I have posted things on Facebook, um You know, negative things against the 501c3 churches. I have posted negative things about many different groups within Christianity. I have said many, many negative things about mainstream Christianity and specific teachers slash preachers in Christianity and the truth is that God is not glorified when we do those things when we are tearing people down instead of lifting them up it is glorifying us and coming from our flesh, instead of glorifying Jesus Christ and the Father, and and coming from the Holy Spirit, we absolutely must do all things, and I do mean all things in love and that includes showing people the things in their doctrine and theology about the Bible and Christianity that are wrong because let's face it guys at one time or another we were all new Christians and we all had less than perfect theology at some point or another and if we're if we're going to be honest we all have less than perfect theology right now there is only one i repeat one perfect doctrine and that is the doctrine of Christ so We should all strive to stick as close as possible, if not completely, to the letter to the doctrine of Christ. You know, people say, well, what is the doctrine of Christ? I've done episodes, even before I um, started focusing on the... Anti-Nicene Church, I did episodes on the Remnant Report covering what the doctrine of Christ is and where it can be found in Scripture, but I'll tell everyone again so that no one is confused. The doctrine of Christ can be found in detail in the teachings of Jesus Christ from the sermon on the mount and the rest of the gospels also the first 3 chapters of revelation but in the epistles of john it john talks specifically about the doctrine of christ so if you want to know what the doctrine of jesus christ is then first and foremost, take and read the Sermon on the Mount and all four Gospels, as well as the first three chapters of Revelation and the epistles. Matter of fact, just read the entire New Testament and take it as literal as possible. When you take it as literal as possible, including the parts that are allegory or symbolism or where Jesus is teaching in parables, if you take those literally, then you will take them as parables or as symbols or as allegories. So, if you take the scriptures completely as literal as you possibly can, two things will happen. One, you will end up with the same beliefs as far as the teachings of Christ and Christianity, how to live as a born again believer, you'll come up with the same beliefs as the anti-Nicene church did without ever reading any of the anti-Nicene writings. The second thing that will happen is you will start holding to and understanding the doctrine of Christ, which is the only perfect doctrine. Brett says that he's had people come against him because of his change in his stance on once saved, always saved. You know, (laughs) you are not the only one, my friend. I know for a fact that I have had people um, come against me as well um, for the very same reason. And also, I've talked to many others, well, at least three others in the church who have also had people not just come against them, but say that they now are uh, following a works-based salvation, and that they are um, Pharisees and other, you know, other names to describe them that I'm not, you know, I don't remember exactly what they were at this minute, but... I have also been accused of believing in a works based salvation and I've tried to explain to people that what the early church believed and what I believed or what I believe is this and that is that initially salvation itself the initial act of being born again There is absolutely nothing that we can do to deserve it. The father sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for the sins of every man, woman, and child who has ever been or will ever be born in history and In order to initially become a Christian, to initially be born again into the kingdom of God and become a citizen of New Jerusalem and leave the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of this world that is ruled over by the God of this world, who is Satan, the thing that we have to do is simply have faith in Jesus Christ, believe that He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, believe that He died on the cross and that God raised Him from the dead three days later, and we have to not only believe this in our heart, but we have to confess it with our mouths And a lot of people disagree with me on this, but sorry, it's not just my opinion. I believe that I can prove it from the Word of God, and it is what the early church believed as well. Baptism is a part of salvation. Now, am I saying that if you have believed with your mouth and confessed with your heart and then you die before you have the chance to be baptized, that you'll be on your way to hell? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying goes right along with losing your salvation, in a sense, because it's about obedience. In the early church, the way that people, you know, I guess showed that they believed Jesus was the son of God and that God raised him from the dead and all of the things that we must do to initially be born again was by being baptized, water baptized. And the way that they were baptized in the early church was different than the way most places, the most churches, most pastors baptize people today. They were actually baptized or dunked into the water three different times. Once for the Father, once for the Son, and then again for the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we have to do necessarily because, you know, I have to be honest, I have never uh, dunked someone in the water three times when I've baptized them, and I wasn't dunked in the water three times when I was baptized, but I do believe the same as the Bible says and that the anti-nicene Church believed that you must be baptized and you must have hands of the elders laid upon you to receive the Holy Ghost. Because that's what the Bible says. It's not just what the early church believed, but the Bible says that after baptism, the elders of the church are to lay hands on you to impart For lack of a better word, the Holy Spirit. And I know I've kind of got off on a rabbit trail, but I was, you know, I was kind of answering what, or not answering, but responding to what you said because the truth is that. The whole reason I did today's show is that I thought I was going to have somebody else on with me. So I am extremely grateful for Brett being here, even if it's just, you know, in the comments, so that I have someone to have a dialogue with. Um, You know, but you're right, though. God does the saving, but we have a responsibility of obedience. And it's just like... Hebrews says that after we have received the love of the truth being Jesus Christ if we willingly sin after that there remains no more sacrifice for sins. When you take that verse and and it goes further than that it says that Not only is there no more sacrifice for sins, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it also says that the only thing you can expect is the wrath of an angry God. So, um, if you take that scripture in Hebrews, along with what Jesus said about how those who do not produce fruit, and those who do not produce fruit that he's talking about are those who have been saved, those who are already on the vine, those who are in Jesus Christ, believers. He says that if believers on the vine do not produce fruit, then just like an Actual, you know, grapevine that doesn't produce grapes or any kind of vine or tree that doesn't produce fruit, it's going to be the branches are going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. And then to further that, we have the book of James that says, Fate without works is dead and can a dead faith save you? No, absolutely not. On top of that, we have Jesus in the first three chapters of Revelation talking to who? Talking to the church. The letters that were written To the seven churches in Asia Minor were written to believers. And out of those seven letters to those seven churches, there were only two letters that didn't say anything negative. There were only two churches that Jesus did not warn that if they did not do what he told them to do in the letters that he would remove their names from the book of life, that he would remove their candlestick from its place. Now, in the book of Revelation, there are different um, translations. It's funny that I'm saying that based on what today's program was supposed to be about, but there are different translations some some of them say candlesticks. Some of them say lampstands. And what Jesus says is that those who don't do the things that he's telling them to do will have their candlesticks or their lampstands removed. And in the book of Revelation, we find out in the first chapter that those candlesticks or those lampstands, however you want to, whichever English word you want to use to, uh, I, you know, to describe them, I would use um, either one because when I read that, what I'm thinking about is the menorah. But um, Jesus equates the candlestick or the lampstand he he says that that represents the churches so when he tells these churches that if they don't do the things like repent or you know go back to their first love the things that he he tells each of the churches that he's going to remove their name from the book of life, we know what that means. If if your name's removed from the book of life, it had to be there in the first place. And if the lampstands or candlesticks represent the churches, and Jesus says he's going to remove their candlestick or their lampstand, he's saying, look, you're going to lose your salvation. I mean, To me, it's plain as day. You know, there's no getting around the fact that the Bible, the New Testament, teaches salvation very, very clear. And that is that we can do nothing to earn our salvation, or a better way to look at it, is there's nothing that we can do to earn what Jesus did on the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn his sacrifice for our sins. And if we accept his sacrifice and make him the Lord of our lives by repenting of our sins And believing that he is indeed the Son of God and, you know, uh, confessing with our mouth, believing with our hearts and confessing with our mouth, that will get us into the kingdom of heaven. You know, that narrow gate that Jesus talks about, the narrow way into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that'll get us in. But that doesn't, I mean, once we're in, there's nothing in the Bible that says, I mean, people try to take scripture out of context to prove that once you enter into the kingdom of God by becoming a Christian, that there's no way to be removed from the kingdom of God, but The truth is, that's not what Jesus taught, that's not what the apostles taught, and that's not what the early church believed. That's not what the anti-Nicene writings say. It is definitely a balance of faith and works, and the reason it it is a balance is, is because our English understanding and definition of faith is different than the ancient understanding and definition of faith. The word that is used in the New Testament for faith implies action. It's an action word. It's a word that has requirements. People talk about this, that um, grace is unmerited favor. But I wrote a... I haven't published it yet, but I plan on publishing it after I get (laughs) the audio, audible version of my book completely out, and I have nothing else going on, I wrote a short, it, it could be considered more of a booklet, on um, what, um, ah, my mind just went completely blank for a second, um, oh, uh, Grace, on what the biblical definition of grace is. See, we have been taught to believe that grace means unmerited favor. That's what mainstream Christianity teaches. However, if we look in the Old Testament at all of the different instances where the Hebrew word for Grace is used. It's never something that is unmerited, that was given given to whoever for it doesn't matter if God gave it or if it is a person showing grace. Um it's never something that was just given unmerited. You know, it was never something that was unmerited. And it's the same in Greek, in the Septuagint, as well as the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying that we can earn our salvation. Again, I'm not talking about the initial act of salvation or Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What I'm talking about is the grace that God grants us. For our sins in our life after we have received the knowledge of the truth. And to me, and I show in this booklet, and I, I will admit completely that every, well, no, well not everything, but most of what I got that I wrote in this booklet, I got from David Berceau and his audio teachings on um, uh, quite uh, several YouTube channels, and from my uh, subscription to um, thehistoricfaith.com, and also from the Bible. And you know, the only reason I wrote this booklet wasn't to make money, and I'm going to offer it on my website for free. I'm not trying to make money on it. What I'm trying to do is show people what biblical grace actually is. What grace is in God's definition opposed to what mainstream christianity has described grace as so i know that i haven't touched much on what i was supposed to talk about today after um mr magnum decided not to come on with me but you know it is what it is you know he he told me that He would only debate me in the comments. and I I should have known then that he wasn't going to come on. Even though he did say in Messenger, finally, that he would come on. Just on Facebook. So I was going to have him just on Facebook. But... You know, since he didn't come on, I went ahead and streamed to YouTube and Facebook live because there was no point in only streaming to Facebook if it was just going to be me. But what I was trying to point out and what I want you to take away from today's Program and I'm going to put this the audio up on the podcast and I am also going to um, I'm going to put the link to um, magic magical mystery church however you pronounce her YouTube channel in the the description um, on YouTube and in the comments on Facebook but. What I want you to take away from today's episode is this. That the enemy has people that he has planted all over social media. Whether it's YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. It makes no difference. Trust me. What I want you to understand is this more than anything, and I'm not talking about John. I don't know John well enough to say whether he's truly a believer who is deceived or he is a Luciferian plant. I don't know one way or the other, but what I do know is this. There are many, many people that the enemy has planted all over social media. So, if you don't take anything else away from today's program, take this away. Just because someone says that they're a Christian on social media, if the only way you know them is through social media. I don't care how many things they've posted that are theologically sound. I don't care how much you agree with what they say in their post. I don't care how many of your posts that they've liked and commented um, positively on. You only know them on social media, therefore you don't know them. Just because someone calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that they follow the Jesus Christ of the Bible. It doesn't mean that they follow the same Jesus that you follow. We are living in the last days. And just as Brett said, the deception is thick. Jesus said that it would be so thick that even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. Also, the Apostle Paul said that in these last days that we're living in, that because Men would rather believe a lie than the truth. God was going to send them a strong delusion to cause them to believe a lie. My friends, do not be one of the ones that God sends a strong delusion that causes you to believe a lie. Hold on to your love of the truth the truth is Jesus Christ you can trust what is in the King James version of the New Testament and you can trust what is in the Septuagint in the Old Testament now am I saying that You can't use the King James for your Old Testament? No. And if you watch the episodes that... I I did two of them on Return of the Historic Faith. I also did, I think, one on the Remnant Report. But if you watch those episodes or listen to those episodes, then you will hear me say without question that you certainly can use the King James for your New Testament and Old Testament. Using the King James is not going to keep you from getting a complete understanding of who Jesus is, or what is required for salvation, or having the correct theology on anything, for that matter, including eschatology. The things that cause that to happen is cherry-picking scriptures, and it makes no difference what translation they cherry-pick from. There are new age antichrist translations and i have done episodes on them as well those are the translations that take away from the deity of christ and they do they they take out verses of the bible and they change other verses to say things that they didn't originally say. And I'll tell you this, if you want to know how a version of the Bible is okay, or is a New Age Antichrist translation, find out if it was translated using the Westcott and Hort text, or if it was translated Using the Texas Receptus for the New Testament and something like the, as much as I don't like it, the um, Masoretic for the Old Testament. There are many, many um, text families, families of texts that are okay, and that are used in good Bible translations. Um, I don't want to waste any more time because we're about to end the program, but go back and watch the episode that I did on Bible translations, or go back to the podcast and listen to the episodes that I did on Bible translations. Listen to the two episodes that I did this year or last year. I can't remember if it was last year. It was the end of last year. But it was on Return of the Historic Fate. That was after I stopped doing the Remnant Report. And if you find and listen to the two um, episodes I did on the Septuagint, they also cover, I can't remember which one or if it's both of them, but one or both of them cover the um, translations that use bad text in translating the Bible. They use the, the Westcott and Hort translations. And I'll tell you something way better than Return of the Historic Faith and the episodes that I did on uh, the translations of the Bible like the Septuagint, something far better that you can use and that you can watch is on this YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, is on this channel. If you're not watching this on YouTube. And you're watching this on Facebook. Then it's on the Apocalypse Unveiled YouTube channel. There are. Three or four different documentaries. On. The Bible. Done. By. Chris Pinto. And. I think the first one's called. A Lamp in the Darkness. And. Those documentaries show Westcott and Hort and the translations and the text, the translations that they helped create and the text of the Bible that they use and that they uh, translated and and everything that they claim to have done, it shows the truth about it. It completely discredits Westcott and Hort and shows them for the agents of the enemy that they were so I am going to link those videos from Apocalypse Unveiled in the description of this video on YouTube and I'm going to put it in the comment section of this video on Facebook. But I want to thank you guys for all tuning in whether you watch this episode live or you're listening to it on the podcast or you're catching the video replay on YouTube or Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and Brett, I want to send a special shout out to you and say thank you for sticking in and listening and watching the entire episode even though it wasn't the episode that it was supposed to be and I appreciate the dialogue that I was able to have back and forth with you brother Um, you know I'm trying to read your last comment it says the only discrepancies that you have found as far as the KJV are language and some word meanings which through proper study can be made clear i love you too brother um you know there are some other discrepancies um like the ones i said in the beginning jesus and the apostles quote from the old testament in the new testament in the kjv and other translations. This isn't something that the King James Version is by itself on. Almost every English translation is is responsible for this. Almost every English translation does this. Jesus will quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, or one of the apostles will, And you'll go back to the Old Testament to read the quote that Jesus just gave and it'll be completely different than the thing Jesus just said or the quote Jesus just gave. And that's because the New Testament, just like most um, English versions of the Bible are translated using the Masoretic text and you know (laughs) the Masoretic text of the Old Testament is literally one of the newest or youngest translation of the Hebrew Bible that we have people say things I've heard Michael Heiser who I love Say things like, the Masoretic text is an exact rendering of the original Hebrew Old Testament. Well, if that's the case, then why doesn't the quotes that Jesus used match up perfectly? with the Masoretic text, if the Masoretic text is an exact replica of the original uh, Hebrew, because one thing I know for certain, the Septuagint is an exact replica of the Hebrew. And there are many reasons why I know this, but I'm not going to get into them today. Um, You know, we've, We've talked enough about these things, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, I agree with you, brother, and, you know, I, I think that you and I and a lot of believers, you know, like BDK, Phil Baker, Jeremy Stone, Bryant McCullough, there are a lot of us who are on the same page. It's been a while since I talked to Justin Fall, so I don't know where... Um, him and Westland on the early church and Bible versions but I do know that um, both of them are very very intelligent um, spirit filled brothers in Christ and I believe that if they are not already kingdom Christians who you know, agree with and follow the historic faith of the anti-Nicene church and the apostles that they will eventually become kingdom Christians who follow the historic faith. And I'm not saying that they aren't because like I said I have not talked to Justin in months since earlier this year. But, um, guys, I love each and every one of you. Thank you all for tuning in to Return of the Historic Faith. For Kingdom Productions, this is Pastor Jeremy Anderson saying, until next time, God bless each and every one of you. Grace and peace.